Okay, so as I mentioned, it's a, it's a series over the summer called The Summer of Love. You know, Jeff has uh, been in the pulpit an inordinate amount of time over the last couple of years with uh, all the things that are going on in the world with COVID and all that. Um, he's really scheduled to maybe be up maybe three out of every four Sundays, but he has gone above and beyond. And Jeff is fine. We're just giving him a break as we usually do over the, over the summer. So we've lined up a group of people who are going to be teaching. Uh, this week, you won't hear from Terrell Davis, as I mentioned, but we have a couple of church planners who are going to be coming up over the next couple of weeks, and we'll be driving through the summer. At the end of July, we're going to have a Vision Sunday where we talk about what's coming up in the fall and how we are uh, continuing to try to be a church who, who are disciples who make disciples. But just want to take a moment um, to say my thanks and my gratitude for Jeff. You know, Jeff makes it look so easy when he comes up here, doesn't he? He's just such a gifted teacher, and we really, really are blessed to have somebody like him who week in, week out, um, he just has this natural ability to teach the Word of God. He's one of the best Bible teachers that I've ever sat underneath, and I'm very grateful for him. But um, this week, we are going to be, begin our series, which is a series of sermons that are laid on the hearts of the people who are, you're going to be hearing from. And today, we're going to be looking at uh, a, a passage that's played a big part in my life, the parable of the talents. But first of all, let's start out this way. Can you point to something in your life, maybe it's an event, something that somebody said, a movie or something that has really impacted your life? As you think about it, okay, think about where you are now. Is there something that really has pointed you in a really positive, impactful way to get you where you are? Um, you know, I was thinking about this myself, and most of you guys know me not only as a pastor, but also a worship musician. I was thinking, where did that come from? And I remember, this is going to date me a lot, but my brother and sister, a little bit older than I, I am, when I was six years old, five or six years old, I got a hold of a 45 vinyl. Anybody know what a 45 vinyl is? Raise your hand. Okay, a lot of, anybody own a 45 vinyl? Okay, we just dated our, our, ourselves here. But they had a 45 vinyl of the Beatles. And on one side, it was, I want to hold your hand. And on the other side was, was, I saw her standing there. And I listened to that thing thousands and thousands of times. Like, I just got that in, in my mind. And um, I look back at that and say, that was like the first time that I really enjoyed contemporary music, popular music, and, and man, I listened to that over and over again, and it played a big impact in my life. And then later on, when I was maybe eight or nine, I was going through my parents' closet. They had a stack of vinyl records up in the closet, and there was this, this album, this vinyl album of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. I'd never heard anything like that before. And, but I, I played it on our, on our record player, and I was just blown away. It's like, oh my gosh, what is this stuff? And um, I became so into classical music that actually the first album that I ever purchased when I was like nine years old was the complete Beethoven symphonies by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Now, is that geeky or what? But, <laughs> and I would listen to that all the time. When my dog died when I was like 11, Two weeks solid, I would play Mozart's Requiem, you know, because it was like, it was the only fitting thing to do. But, you know, so music and those albums really played an impact in my life. It was through the Beatles album, through the classical albums that I heard that I got this love for music when I went on and got an undergraduate in music composition 
And uh, it was a big deal for me. So I thought about that. That kind of affected me. And then another thing, um, you guys have probably learned this about me, that I love humor and I love comedy movies. Um, true fact, I've watched Napoleon Dynamite so many times. I have every single line memorized. And I love it so much that I even watch it in Spanish to see if it was still funny. <laughs> and you know what? It's hilarious in Spanish. So, um, and... Every year, Thanksgiving, you know, we love having the family over. I love doing all that. But the high point of Thanksgiving for me is, yes, tonight we get to watch Christmas Vacation because I love that, that movie. And what you don't know about me is I'm constantly editing whatever comes out of my mouth because I've been impacted so much from like Chevy Chase, Napoleon Dynamite, movies like Dumb and Dumber, you know, great classic films that you learn a whole lot that... I'm always trying to stop what I'm going to say of like quoting, you know, like that there's an RV out there. So um, anyway, so we all have things in our lives that we can point to that have impacted us. And, um, and what about you? I'm sure that all of us can look back and say, wow, this had a big impact in my life. Um, you'll be glad to know that also the Bible has impacted my life as your pastor it's not just music and comedy movies, but um, I'm wondering about you. Are there any passages or any texts from the Bible that you can look to and say, wow, this has become kind of a life principle. This has really impacted my life. Um, all scripture is profitable, but there are a few passages that are go-tos for me that I can look at and say, wow, this had a big, big impact in my life. And one passage for me that's become a guiding principle of the way that I do life is uh, a parable that, that Jesus taught. It's a parable of the talents. And it's found in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. So if you go ahead and uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to that. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. But I want to set it up a little bit. So Jesus told this parable. It was about two days before the Passover. So he had made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Everything's great. You know, he's welcomed in. And then immediately he gets into confrontation with the Jewish leaders. So a couple of days of confrontation of them coming after him and testing them. So at this point, he was away with his disciples. They went away to, to a place to kind of get away from everybody. He was on the Mount of Olives. And his followers asked him, Jesus, tell us about what's going to happen at the end of the world. Tell us about your kingdom. What is the end of the world going to look like? And in Matthew chapters 24 and 25, he taught about the signs uh, at the end of time and uh, principles about his return. In 25, he taught specifically about some parables that we all know, we were probably very familiar with. He talked about the parable of the 10 virgins. He talked about the parable of the talents. And then he spoke about the final judgment of the world. Now, there's a lot to unpack in all these, and I don't have time to go through both chapters, which is kind of the big picture of what he was talking about. But I wanted to read today and talk about the parable of the talents. Okay, so if you have a Bible, uh, this is Matthew 25, 14 through 30, the parable of the talents. Jesus said, talking about the end of end times, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. He who had received the five talents 
went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he had received the five talents, came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I had scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, as many of you know, a parable is a fictional story that is used to illustrate spiritual truths. Jesus taught a lot in parables in his teaching. So how do we interpret this parable? What's he talking about? So again, I want to go back and say that the first thing that you need to do when you're trying to interpret scripture is you look at the context. You don't just take a verse, throw it out there on the wall and interpret it when it's standalone, but you look at what comes before and what comes after. And as I mentioned, this parable is in the context of where Jesus's followers were saying, tell us what the end of the world is going to look like. Tell us what's going to happen at the end of time. So the principle of the context is where we begin with this. So Jesus is talking specifically, he's telling us a story that's to demonstrate spiritual truths about what's going to happen at the end of the world. So let's unpack this, par- this parable and see if we can find out what he's talking about here. Well, the master who went on a long journey represents, who do you think? Anybody have an idea? Is there somebody in the Bible who was here for a while and he went away? Christ, good, good, yeah. Yeah, that's Jesus. So the master in this parable is Jesus. And the long journey represents Jesus' ascension into heaven that happened about 40 days, actually exactly 40 days after he was raised from the dead. His journey, this long journey, has lasted a long time. We're at 2,000 years almost and counting. So this is a long journey. But before the master left for his journey, he entrusted his possessions to his servants. And who are the servants? If the master is Jesus, who are the servants? Us, good. So the servants represent us, those who profess to be followers of Jesus. So this is a story about, about us, 
okay? And then it talks about that he, he entrusted to them talents. Now, what are talents? Now, a, a talent is not the way that we think of a talent of, oh, that person's really, really talented. You know, you have the, you have the gift of teaching. This person is, is a great musician. This person's a great athlete or whatever. We're not talking about that. In this story or in this world, a talent is a unit of weight uh, representing about 75 to 100 pounds of silver and um, 20 or, or five talents would mean about 20 years of wages for somebody who's making a good income, like an electrician or somebody like, somebody like that. This is a lot of money. So he's, he's giving his possessions, his treasure to these people. So five talents would be about 20 years of wages, two talents about eight, wa- eight years of wages, and one talent about four years of wages, a substantial amount of money. So what's the interpretation of these talents? How does that apply to us? Doesn't this story sound very similar to what Jesus did after the resurrection before he ascended into heaven? Jesus called his disciples together and he commissioned them and he gave them what we call the great commission in Matthew 18 or in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He entrusted to them the treasure of representing the kingdom of heaven. So what we have received is we now represent the interests and the assets of Jesus Christ, of the king of the universe. We are ambassadors of the, king, of the kingdom. That's our treasure. And we each have a responsibility to be representatives of our master. We each have a responsibility to make an impact for his kingdom. He entrusted the treasure not just to one servant, but each one of his servants. And each generation is entrusted the responsibility of representing Christ in their generation. Matthew 18, Matthew, I'm sorry, 28, 18 through 20. You've heard it a lot. It's kind of our verse here about being disciples who make disciples. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, he's talking to us, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's reaching people who don't know Christ, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's helping them to grow to be Christ's followers. And behold, or lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the, the treasure entrusted to us, represented by this parable, is a commandment to make disciples by reaching those people who don't know Christ, sharing the good news with them. You know, it's a long process. It's not just, here, let me give you the four spiritual laws. Good luck with that. It's a long process of being engaged with people in their lives, helping them to come to a saving faith in Christ, uh, seeing that they're baptized and then that they're also raised up, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. We represent the interests and the assets of the king. We are ambassadors of the kingdom. Okay, so what was the response of these servants? What did that look like? So it said that the servant who received the five talents says he immediately dropped what he's doing. He went out, he focused on this, and he made five more talents. The second servant who received the two talents did the same thing. He immediately dropped what he was doing. He went out and he invested this money or this, yeah, this treasure and he doubled it. He came up with two talents more. Now the third servant who received the one talent, he just dug a hole, he buried it, forgot about it, went about his own business, did whatever he wanted to do. So then there was a time of settling accounts. The story continues. It says that after a long time, the master came to settle the accounts. There was a day of reckoning when the servants were gonna be held accountable 
for what they did with the treasure. It says a master returned after a long time. You know, the early Christians thought that Jesus was gonna return soon within their lifetimes. But Jesus implies in this parable, he says it was a long journey. And as I said, it's been almost 2,000 years and counting. It is a long journey. Now, the first guy to settle up was the guy with the five talents. Now, he had gone out, he had immediately invested this and he had created a return on investment and he couldn't wait to settle up to his master. He was the first one in line. He probably ran to the front of the line and he said, master, look what I did. You, you gave me five talents, I gave you five more. The guy who had the two talents did the same, did the same thing. He came and he, and, he, and he said, look, you gave me these talents, I doubled your investment. I can't wait to, to hear what you're gonna say. And the master said this to him, to the first two. Both of them received the same commendation from the master. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. He said, you've been faithful with a little. Now I'm gonna set you over much. And then he said, enter into the joy of your master. So he gave him three, three things. Commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't we long to hear that from Jesus someday when we stand before him to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he gave them rewards. He said, if you've been faithful with a little, I'm gonna set you over much. Second Timothy 2, 11 and 12 says, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Our inheritance with Christ is not just sneaking into the kingdom and okay, we just barely made it, made it, but God wants to give us rewards where we reign with them. He will entrust much to us. But this third thing he said, enter into the joy of your master. Their position as servants had changed. It wasn't, okay, you've been faithful, good. Come back here and work for me and do some more work. He said, no, I'm adopting you as heirs, as co-heirs into this kingdom. Into, enter into my joy, the relationship had changed. He no longer called them servants. He treated them as family and, and co-heirs. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You know, I think we, we way underestimate what heaven's gonna be like. You know, we think about heaven, it's like, all right, we're gonna float around on clouds and we're gonna be giving our harps and doing all that kind of stuff. And, and if that sounds okay, but honestly, we have no idea. We can't imagine the glory and the wonder that's gonna be ours when we co go into heaven with God. We have no clue. It says, it says, eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard, and we haven't imagined what God has prepared for us. So what was the master looking for? Was he looking for a particular money amount? Was he saying, well, you know, I really wanted to double my investment because the stock market's been going down and we need to kind of get it back up because I'm looking at retiring. He wasn't looking at a particular dollar amount. He treated the one who, who, who did the five talents and the two exactly the same. He gave them the same reward because he was looking for faithfulness with what he had entrusted to them. So the first two servants took the task of stewarding what the master had given them very seriously, they devoted themselves to it, and they multiplied what was given to them. Now here comes the last guy, the guy with the one talent. So the first two, you know, they're up in line first. They can't wait 
to meet their master. They're expecting him. They, they want to see what he has to say about this. But the last guy had a little different perspective because he had zero to show for what the master had entrusted to him. He's the last guy to show up. And he shows up, he stands before his master and he basically calls his master evil. He calls him a thief. He says, you reap where you didn't sow and you gather where you didn't plant. Not a good way to show up to your master, right? To call him a thief. Then he says, I didn't do anything with what you gave me. I just hit it, but here, you have it back. This didn't turn out really well for this guy. What did the master of God say to him? He said, you should have at least given what I gave you a little bit of attention, put it in the bank and let it gain some interest. Instead, you completely ignored it and you did nothing with it. So what did he receive from the master? The exact opposite of what they received. The first two received commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. He called him wicked and slothful. Rather than rewards, he said, take away what he has, give it to the one who has the most. And rather than entering into the joy of his master, he said, send him to the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Send him to hell. Pretty serious story. You know, this was two days before Jesus was gonna be crucified, arrested and crucified. So you gotta think he's really serious and, and very deliberate about what he's gonna talk about. He wants us to understand that this end of the world thing is, is no joke and our responsibility is no joke. Now, I wanna come back and talk about this a little bit more, but there's two big applications or two observations that I wanna make from this text today. There could be a million observations, but two that I wanna make today. The first observation is Jesus will return. Okay, Jesus is going to come again. Most people in the world don't believe that Jesus is going to come again. And Peter, 2 Peter 3, 4 tells us that. He says that they're gonna say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Jesus made it very clear. He is gonna come again. Now, during his first time on earth, he came as meek and mild, Jesus, although he wasn't that meek and mild, but he came as a servant. He said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that was his first time. But when he comes again, it's not gonna be this meek and mild Jesus. It's gonna be the almighty king and judge. Now we live in a time when the good news of forgiveness of sins is open to everybody who puts their trust in Christ who believe that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried and raised on the third day. We live in a dispensation of grace, a time of grace and mercy for everybody who puts their trust in him. Now is the day of salvation. Today is a day of salvation. But be assured, there will be a day that's gonna come suddenly, it says like a thief in the night, when the trumpet's gonna sound, signifying the end of the world, and that at that point on, there will be no second chances, no do-overs, no extra time on the clock, and we will all be held accountable to what we did with and for Christ. Second Peter 3, 9 through 10 said, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, 
but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We are now in a period of grace. Salvation is open to everybody who puts their trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But it's not always gonna be this way. There's gonna come a day when the trumpets are gonna sound, when the skies are gonna rip open and we will see Jesus come because he said it's gonna be like lightning from the east and the west. The entire world's gonna see him come. Game over. So be encouraged, huh? So first point, first point. Jesus is gonna return, amen? We don't talk, Jesus is gonna return. This is, this is a short time in eternity. Second point, everyone will be judged and we all want to be ready. Now, Hebrews 9.27 is appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. Everyone will be judged. Christ's followers will be judged. Now, the good news is, we will not be judged as to our salvation. Our salvation is secure. If you know the master, if you have put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your sins have been dealt with. Salvation is secure. Yes, you will be going in, into heaven. John three sixteen says, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 10, nine through 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So for the Christ follower, we will receive salvation. Now, this person in here, now what about this guy who had the one talent? Well, as I read this, we can't say that this text just disagrees with everything else we see in scripture, because scripture truly or clearly teaches that salvation is through faith in Christ alone. We're not gonna move into a works-based theology, but I would say that this servant did not really know his master. He was in the house of the master. He was enjoying being part of his master's household, but he didn't know the master because he called the master a hard man. He called him a, a, a thief. He said, you reap where you don't, you don't sow. He had no clue who his master really was. That's not who God is. God is, is kind and gracious and forgiving of our sins. So my, my statement on this is, this wasn't somebody who lost his salvation because he didn't produce enough works, but he never knew the master to begin with. So the first application today is, I don't know where we all are with our thoughts about um, you know, our belief in Christ, but I would encourage you, if you have never come to the point where you have really examined the words of Jesus, not the, not the words of the organized church, the words of Jesus, and uh, you put your trust in him. You just recognize, uh, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a savior. And I trust on the finished work that you did on the cross as payment for my sins. Then you will be in the kingdom. But we will all be judged. Again, Christ's followers will not be judged according to salvation but we will be judged based on what we do in our lives. You know, I told you that like, I, I have like movies stuck in my head and lines, lines from movies. Um, one of my favorite lines from a movie is the movie Gladiator. Raise your hand if you love the movie Gladiator. All the guys, just raise your hand. Oh, oh and Lee, hey, we got some ladies here. Um, 
one of the first lines in, in Gladiator where they're getting ready to like face uh, Germania, Germania or whatever, um, is he says, what you do in life echoes through eternity. I'm like, yeah, that's a great quote, but it's true. What we do with our lives matters. It will echo through eternity. What, we, what eternity will look like for us will be based on what we do with what has been entrusted to us by our master. Remember, we represent the interests and the assets of the king. We are ambassadors of his kingdom. We're gonna be judged by God, not according to how we stand against everybody else, like, oh, I'm better than this guy, a little bit better than this guy, but we're gonna be judged individually based on what God has entrusted to us. Now, the master didn't give everybody the same thing, the same amount. He gave each to according to their abilities. And we are expected to bear fruit according to what God has given us. So my question today is what are we doing? What are you doing? What am I doing to deliberately invest what God has entrusted to me to make a return on investment for the kingdom? Now, are you using your abilities, your time, talent, and treasure for the kingdom? There's a lot of smart people at this church. That's one of the things about like, I think about Dunwoody Community Church. I think uh, the first thing that comes to mind is like, this is the friendliest church I've ever been around. Like this is, everybody's really kind. I think there's a lot of really smart people. I mean, we got people with PhDs or teaching. We got doctors, we got all this, all this stuff. A lot of really smart people here. Great. What are you using to use your intellect to advance the kingdom of God? How are you using that? Are you talented? We have a lot of talented people. Are you using the talents that God has given you for his kingdom? Are you wealthy? We have a lot of people who are very well off. What are you doing to invest the wealth that God has given you for his, for his kingdom? Now, I mentioned at the beginning of this message that this parable has had a big impact on my life. Um, I've shared my story a lot with you guys, but I'll share just a little bit to show what I mean by this, because this parable made me do a major life, life change in my life. So years ago, um, like in the mid 90s, I'll be 62. And in the mid 90s, I was in my 30s. And both my parents passed away within two years. And my best friend committed suicide. At the time, I was in software development. So I got my undergraduate in music composition. You know what you do with the degree in music composition? You get a different degree, you get something else that you can get a job and make a living. So I went back, started a master's in computer science. I was in software development. We were doing great. And then I got to that point in my life where both my parents passed away. My best friend was gone. And, you know, I was serving in a church and I, I, was, I was faithful, but I was like, am I making the greatest investment of what God has given me? And, you know, I have these these musical gifts that I have, I thought, is there a way where I could take those and more directly invest those in the kingdom? And right around that time, there was, I, we were actually attending church here. I was playing every Sunday and Fellowship Bible Church over in Roswell, um, through some relationships, they contacted me and said, hey, we're looking for somebody to be the worship pastor. Would you pray about that? And Cindy and I prayed about it. And after a while, we realized, we think we can make a greater investment in the kingdom by taking what God has entrusted to me and using, using it there. Um, so this parable made me do a career change to leave a good job and go into, go into the ministry. And I don't regret it at all, but it was a major change. Now, I'm not saying that everybody's called to quit their jobs and go into ministry, right? 
whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. But I'm saying take that, that perspective that you're no longer living for yourselves, but if I'm in real estate, I'm gonna be the most honest, forthright, caring, uh, wonderful real estate person out there because I'm doing it to expand the kingdom. And I'm gonna look, yeah, we see real estate right here. Woohoo! Um, I'm doing it not just to make money and income, but to bless people and for them to come to me and say, why are you so nice? Why are you so, why are you so good? If I work at the CDC, we have a couple of CDC people here. Um, if I work at the CDC, I wanna be the best that I can. I wanna be honorable. I wanna be people to look at me and say, there's a man who's above, above reproach because I'm looking for opportunities to take what I do to invest that into growing the kingdom. We want to live by the principle of creating the great, greatest return on investment on our lives, whatever that is. And I don't know what that is for you. For me, it was quitting my job and doing this. Most of you, we want a lot of you to continue to stay in the business world and make a lot of money, okay? Because somebody has to give to the church so we can keep the lights on. So you guys, I'm gonna bless you for making money out, out there. But whatever that, that is for you, be deliberate about it. What does it look like to create the greatest return of investment? You are the servant. You're the one that God has said, here, I'm entrusting to you my kingdom. What are you gonna do with it? Now, one of the things that I do, and I've shared this before, is this leaks. A lot of things in Christian life, life leaks. One of the things that leaks is like, all right, I'm gonna live my life for God. You know, um, I'm gonna like, every breath is gonna be for him. One of the habits that I've gotten into that I would encourage you to maybe try is every morning as part of my devotions, what I do is I use the Lord's prayer as a structure for my prayers, for my morning devotions. Because I found that, you know, when they asked Jesus, uh, teach us how to pray, he said, pray like this. He said, there's probably something really good in that where he said, pray like this, maybe we should pray like that. So just the first couple of pieces of that, it starts out, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, see, I start out my prayers, I'm worshiping God. I'm like remembering, okay, uh, it's not just about me. I'm not at the center of the universe. If I take myself off the throne of the center of the universe, put God back on there, remembering that his name is holy and it's to be worshiped and adored. I just spend some time thanking him for, for who he is. But then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, most of the time in, in our prayers, don't we like, uh, all right, Lord, I need this, this new job, I need this, you know, help this, pray for this person, whatever. But the, after worshiping God, the very next thing he said is, is, may your kingdom come. And what I do every day is I say, Lord, align my will and my life with your priorities and not you align your will with my priorities. Okay, rather than me, me going to God and say, God, I need you to like move heaven and earth to do what I'm asking you. I'm saying, change my heart so that today everything I do will be directly invested in your kingdom in creating a great return on investment. So that's my encouragement to you today that, that we wanna be a people. I wanna be a person. We wanna be people. This church wants to be a church, a community of people that when we stand before God someday, because remember, Jesus is gonna return, amen? He's gonna return and everyone will be held accountable. We wanna be those who run to the front of the line. We're not, we're not running away saying, uh-oh, I messed up on this, but we run to the front of the line and we say, look what I have done for you. And we hear those words, 
well done, good and faithful servant. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We represent the interests and the assets of the king of the universe. We are ambassadors of his kingdom. Let's commit our lives to doing great things for God so that we can all stand there together and be everybody's cheerleader when we hear those words from God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we thank you for, for this parable, which is, a, which is a reminder, Lord, there's great joy in here where we see those faithful stewards, those who have been faithful to what you've entrusted to them. There's great joy. There, there's hope. There's, there's rewards. There's words of commendation. There's, there's this entering into a new relationship with you, Lord. Um, and yet, Lord, there's also a very stern warning. You were very serious about this, of wanting to make sure that we don't miss um, first and foremost, knowing you and knowing who you are, putting our trust in you, Lord. And again, I pray for anybody here who has any doubts or is not, has not completely surrendered their life to you, Lord. Uh, Lord, would you, would you reveal yourself to them in your time? But I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit, that you would move in power today. And I pray that everybody in this place would walk out today knowing that you have died for our sins, that you recognize that we are sinful, but you have made a way uh, into your kingdom through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Lord, for those of us who believe that, who are basing our lives on that, I pray that we would be those faithful servants that we see here in this parable. I pray that we would deliberately every day come to you and say, Lord, how am I investing my life? How, what can I do to make a greater return on investment for you and your kingdom, Lord? Uh, Lord, may we someday stand before you and cheer one another on as we stand before your throne. And one by one, we hear you say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. So Holy Spirit, help us, we pray. And Lord, as we move, move into a time of communion where we reflect on these things, we reflect on the great gift of grace that you have given us through um, the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. I pray that you would work here, that you would meet us in the midst of this time and the Holy Spirit, you would continue to speak to us. And um, we offer the rest of the service to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to go into a time of communion. And uh, here at Dunwoody Community Church, we have what's called open communion. It's open, you don't have to be a member of the church or uh, a specific denomination. But it's open to anyone who has put their trust in Jesus Christ. There are elements over here. I believe gluten-free is down here up front. And so... Um, in just a moment here, I'm going to ask you guys to go ahead and, and as you feel led, go ahead and take the elements, take them back to your seat, and we'll, we'll celebrate communion together. But I want to do this. The Apostle Paul tells us um, two things when we celebrate communion. Um, he says, you know, he quotes Jesus. He says, as often as you do this, remember me. So obviously we're going to remember the sacrifice of Christ. But he also says, examine yourselves. So I want to encourage you, before you come and take the elements, spend a little time thinking about what we talked about here today. What does it look like to be very deliberate about creating the greatest return on investment for the kingdom with my life? Okay, so I'm going to ask Joseph to play a little music, and when you guys feel led, go ahead and take the elements, and then I'll come back up and we'll take them together.